Hey everyone, it's Heather from the Be Well team, welcoming you to the Be Well podcast. Be Well is designed to address your health and well being in mind, body, and spirit. We hope this podcast encourages moments of personal reflection and inspires you to act on what moves you and calls you to live your best life. So, welcome, and let's dive into today's episode. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking a lot about how we're just exposed to so much stress these days with the 24-7 media loop, social media, issues surrounding childbirth, women's reproductive health, formula shortages, shootings, war, social justice issues, and the list just could go on and on and on. We're going to be talking about how do we respond? How do we keep our own peace and cope when we experience vicarious trauma. So today we have Dr. Colleen Fury, who's actually a return guest on the podcast. You might remember her from the episode on navigating difficult conversations that we recorded last fall. Dr. Fury is a Bon Secours Mercy Health clinical psychologist. So welcome, Dr. Fury. Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm glad to be here. If you want to go ahead and get us kicked off with a reflection, that would be awesome. So today we'll be using a quote from Dorothy Day, and she said, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. And the prayer to reflect on that, God of my neighbor, your son Jesus taught us that we will find you precisely within the acts of service performed for the sake of those who are in need. As we strive to do so, we pray for a passion, not just to serve, but to love you more deeply as we strive to show love to those who can sometimes seem unlovable. May we be committed to showing authentic hospitality and inclusion to all those our society tends to shun and exclude. Let our sites of care be places of refuge and community for all those who lack the loving concern of others. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. So I think before we dive into this conversation, it's really helpful if we maybe set some definitions of some of the things that we might be talking about today. So um, would you go ahead and just share with us some of those definitions to kind of set the ground? Yeah. So, you know, it can get confusing these days because we're all dealing with a, a wide variety of stressors and kind of difficult things in our lives. And so when we're going to talk about the consequences and interventions for these things, it's helpful to know exactly what is what and kind of these separate buckets we kind of put things in. So um, the first bucket I would describe is just a general stressor kind of bucket. And this is sometimes with kids we refer to ACEs, which is adverse childhood events. So this could be things like moving, loss of a loved one, um, abuse, um, divorce, things like that. We'll see these in adulthood as well. I mean, right now, for example, moving is, you know, moving has always been a very stressful thing, but right now is particularly with the housing market. Yeah. Um, and so we'll see these be as, you know, personal stressors that really can take a toll and we know can be associated with psychological distress. Um, within that bucket, we also have more of a shared kind of stressor. So obviously having lived through a pandemic. Uh, many of us having lived through a pandemic with little children or children who had to be homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the difficulty with formula. You know, certainly I've been at many events where we talk about you just can't find things at the grocery store sometimes that you need. Um, and then obviously gas prices, you know, mm-hmm. looking at, hey, are we going to do that big family gathering at the 4th of July like we do each year? Maybe not this year with gas prices. So these are these kind of shared stressors. 
And again, when we talk about stressors, we really mean kind of these disrupting events that can be associated with psychological distress. Now, that's in contrast to the buckets we might refer to more as trauma. And the DSM-5, which is kind of the big manual of mental health diagnoses, uh, it defines trauma as an exposure to actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. So although something like a divorce or um, difficulty finding childcare is certainly something that could cause you difficulty in your life, it doesn't have that threat to your life, that threat to your safety that we see in a traumatic episode or incident. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. That's helpful to kind of set that parameter and just differentiate between the two. And within trauma, what we kind of further divide it into indirect or sometimes what we call vicarious trauma and then direct trauma. So direct trauma is kind of what we tend to think about. So this would be someone who's, you know, maybe had experience in wartime. This might be an abuse survivor, someone who's been in a car accident, something where there was a real threat to their safety or their life. Now, in um, the early 2000s, we started to study indirect trauma. And what this this actually came out of 9-11. So they ended up looking at the psychological impact of first responders at 9-11. They were not traumatized in that they were not there when the when the buildings were struck, but they were there working with the survivors and all of that afterward. So what that indirect trauma is that kind of being indirectly exposed to that traumatic narrative. We'll see this now. They've studied it in lots of other groups. So um, definitely psychologists. That's where my interest in this became, is that we listen to a lot of trauma narratives. And so how does that impact psychologists? Mm -hmm. We'll see this in police officers, um, social workers, physicians, nurses, um, but really this impact of kind of how does it affect me that I'm experiencing this trauma through someone else? Now, over the last 10 years or so, we're wondering about expanding that to watching the news. So you mentioned that news cycle, right? If you get really hooked on oh my gosh, this terrible school shooting happened, or wow, look at this war. You know, you can be really immersed within that trauma narrative, you know, to infinity and beyond, right? I mean, it can really become a very intense experience. And so then looking at how does that impact us, you know, and having that just like being kind of wrapped up in, in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I've experienced that with the news cycle and social media, you know, just having to really take a step back when I realize that I'm getting so overwhelmed with all that's happening in the world and for my own mental health and my own well-being have to just kind of push it back <laughs> and say, you know what? I don't need to absorb all of this right now. I don't need to know all the details right now. I can take a step back and return when I feel maybe a little more mentally stable or emotionally stable, whatever it might be. Um, I think that that's incredibly important for people right now. Absolutely. And, you know, it's important to note that, you know, we as humans are widely very resilient people, right? So we all do deal with stressors and even trauma, you know, fairly regularly, unfortunately. So we, you know, certainly not everyone that experiences this develops PTSD. Um, but when we see too much of an unchecked trauma reaction, or vicarious or indirect trauma, we can see some of those nightmares, that that difficulty being comfortable in the movie theater. We can see changes to the way we look at the world. Suddenly we look at others as untrustworthy mm -hmm. or I don't feel safe, you know, things like that. And that can really, you know, increasingly it's looking like that can happen even if you weren't there in that moment in that really big safety event. 
And so that's why it's so important to do exactly what you're saying, which is really watch those boundaries and kind of evaluate and take stock in how you're feeling and saying, hey, is the boundary I'm using serving me right now? I like to think of it as um, keeping, like maintaining your own peace. So really trying to keep that bubble around you, you know, not saying that you're not paying attention to reality and living in the reality of the world, but for your own well-being, you you have to maintain peace of some kind within your own heart and in your soul and in your mind. Um, and so, so what are maybe some of these ways that we can cope or maintain this piece. So we can kind of talk all day about, you know, hey, take that bubble bath or, you know, get that <laughs> yeah. manicure, right? The things that we're sometimes told. You know, I, I usually encourage people, one of the things we've seen in the research that I think is a nice concrete thing we can remember is the difference between avoidant coping and active coping. Mm -hmm. And this kind of breaks down into avoidant coping is associated with worse outcomes. These are things that are we're doing to cope by avoiding the stressor. So this might be sleeping too much, um, drinking alcohol, uh, checking out mentally. Um, this could be if work is the stressor, it's, you know, you're calling in sick more. So these avoidant kind of stressors, these are the things we know, or I'm sorry, these avoidant coping strategies we know are really associated with worse outcomes. Now, in contrast, more active coping strategies, things you're doing to kind of address this issue, that tends to be associated with better outcomes. So this might be something like talking to a trusted friend. Um, you know, for me, you know, looking at the school shootings, it was talking to some of my mom friends, mm -hmm. you know, and saying, how are you dealing with this? How did you feel taking your kid to school today? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that to me is an active way of kind of coping and processing this. Um, and that certainly can also be things like exercising, you know, practicing your spiritual beliefs, things like that. But the things that you're actively doing to try to cope, those are the things we know are associated with better outcomes. Yeah. That's so interesting and, and I think very helpful for me and hopefully listeners just, again, differentiating between the two and realizing, oh man, I am practicing some avoidant coping skills sure, sure. I didn't realize, you know, and, um, but then, you know, and then calling out the, oh, okay, I do have a handful of those active coping skills to do. And so maybe I need to start leaning more on those, or maybe I can just dig into that and practice that more often. What about media consumption? Just, I mean, we are so inundated, right? Like my phone, I had to turn off my news notifications because it would go off all day, every day. And it just got to the point where everything was so depressing yeah. and everything was like piling on top of me that at the end of the day, I, I just wasn't happy. I wasn't able to be there for my family like I needed to be. Um, so maybe what are some of those ways that we can yeah. really deal with the media? For sure. So um, I think that the, the biggest thing is to evaluate where you are, first of all. So just to kind of say, do I feel like I'm I'm getting too much exposure right now? Um, one of the ways I use that is I, I think about two different mice. And this is kind of how I think about trauma and how we think about trauma. There's kind of this idea of rumination. And the way I think of that is a mouse on a wheel. And the mouse is just going, going, going on the wheel. And so the rumination might be something like, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that happened. It's not really going anywhere. It's not getting you anywhere. You're kind of stuck on this wheel. 
Now contrast that. Maybe you're thinking about that thing that's happened in the news, but you're doing it in a, a way that represents processing. And this is the way I think of a mouse in a maze getting to that cheese, right? So maybe it's going, gosh, it feels really unsafe. I'm going to talk to my kids and talk to them about safety. You know, I'm going to think about calling my senator. Um, you know, I'm going to reach out to that friend I haven't talked to in a while because I think life is short. Whatever it is, but you're kind of working through how you're feeling and how you're thinking about the event. Mm -hmm. So I'm not so concerned if you're thinking a lot about something terrible happening, more so how we're doing it. And if we're really getting to that ruminative state where we're just going back to it over and over and not really coming to any peace or anywhere with it, that's absolutely where I think we need to start setting some boundaries around exposure. Um, now, what boundaries look like is going to be different for every person. Um, I know for me, you mentioned social media. I've encouraged a couple of patients of mine to kind of, um, do you remember that Marie Kondo with the yeah. organization? So we've talked about using that for social media. Does it bring you, you go, joy? <laughs> exactly. You go through each of the influencers you follow and does this bring me joy or does this ugh, kind of stress me out or worse than something? And really paring down social media based on that. Um, and look, you can always add people back in, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, later on. But if this is really a time where you've got someone who's really you know, posting a lot of things that are really causing you distress, this is a time to silence that person or, you know, cut them off for a bit. Um, definitely watching the news, you know, and watching your consumption there. I would also suggest, you know, think about the workplace, think about your friends, think about your spouse. When they're bringing up these topics and you're burnt out and you're finding yourself not getting anywhere with it, it is totally appropriate to say to them, I'm sorry, I don't have the bandwidth to talk about this right now. Yeah. Um, and, and just remembering that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to get swept up in making small talk about tragic events if you're not there. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, small talk about tragic events. That's just like... It happens though, right? Because yeah. people are in so much shock and you're sitting there at lunch at work and this is the thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, but for a lot of people, it's hard to have that kind of, you know, seemingly casual talk about such a terrifying event and then go back to the rest of your day, yeah. you know, and that's, that's not doable. So, you know, knowing when to set that boundary appropriately, I think is helpful. Mm, absolutely. So that makes me think about having conversations, you know, with your kids mm -hmm. and um, they might be hearing things when they're at school or at a friend's house or in your own household. Maybe you have the news on or something and they see something and, and they get concerned or they have questions. Um, I think it's important to talk to your kids about, Absolutely. you know, events that are going on in the world. Um, what might that look like for parents? Yeah. So the first thing is exactly what you're saying. You want to try to be proactive about this to some extent. Obviously, if your child is 18 months, they're probably not overhearing stuff. We probably don't have to do that. But if we've got a kiddo who's in other environments, or again, this is something being discussed at home or they might overhear on the TV, they're going to feel safer and better if they hear that from you as opposed to some kind of source that they maybe don't fully understand. So being proactive is important. Um, what we want to do is find a good moment. So um, I will say a lot of families, I think, do the bedtime talk. I do not recommend that because it's <laughs> a stressful way to go to sleep. Yeah. Um, so thinking more if we have a quiet moment before lunch, you know, hey, I just want to talk to you for a minute. Starting off by saying, what have you heard? So I know for me, I have a five and an eight-year-old daughter or two daughters. And I was shocked that they had both heard about the war in Ukraine, like right mm -hmm. when it started. Um, and we don't really watch the news actively in our house. I just couldn't. But they were talking about it at school. 
And so, um, you know, for me, it really became, well, first of all, tell me what you've been told, right? Because I want to make sure that they're getting accurate information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really what you want to do is go back to that reassurance. So one of the things trauma and scary things take away from us is our sense of safety and our sense of control. And we want to give that back to the child. So we want to reassure them that they're safe. We're doing everything we can to make them safe. And you can list those things, you know, things like, you know, that's why we keep, we hold your hand when we're in public. That's why we, you know, and kind of talk about things like that. And then reassurance. So with the war, you can say that's very far away from us. You know what I mean? There's lots of smart people in charge who are making good decisions. We have lots of good people who are working to help that problem. But we want to kind of get that safety and then that sense of control. Mm-hmm. If you can, offer your child something they can do. So at my children's school, they ended up um, collecting some donations for Ukrainian kids. And I think that really helped some feelings of control. Like I'm doing something to kind of help this situation. Yeah. And then I would definitely just, you know, finally make sure you're watching that news in terms of I, I, I frequently see kids that hear things on the news. And the problem with that is the news is not meant for children. It's not it's not developmentally appropriate. So kids end up confused and sometimes assuming something worse. So mm-hmm. you always want to finish with, hey, if you hear other things, you have other questions, come ask me. Let me be your source of information, you know, versus kind of getting bits and pieces that might be misconstrued by an eight year old. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm even thinking back to my own childhood and, you know, I, I grew up, I was eight when, yeah, I was eight when 9-11 happened. And I just remember in that, like in that, those formative years, probably from like seven to 12, there were various things that happened that I was hearing on the radio with my parents in the car, you know, my dad had on the TV and I would have a really hard time sleeping as a kid. And my parents would always be like, why, you know, why do you have to have like your blanket all wrapped around your head? You're sweating, you know? (laughs) And I'd be like, it's my protection. Like it's what makes me feel safe. Right. And so, yeah, I just think it's, wow, it's so important that we're careful with the consumption that that we're engaging in when there are little ones around. And I think that, you know, you mentioned your parents. That's another good point is we've talked about boundaries and caring for yourself. That is a great way to model that for your kids, Mm -hmm. right? You know, is that if you're caring for yourself, you're showing them this is how we deal with stressors, you know, in the world. And that's fantastic modeling. I mean, what a gift to that kid, you know, if you can Mm -hmm. do that. But, you know, sometimes it does kind of take that having the difficult, uncomfortable conversation you'd rather not have with your kid. You know right. what I mean? But but doing it in that proactive way, yeah, is really important. Absolutely. And doing it before, not before bed. <laughs> right. Straight tip. Yep, yep. <laughs> Putting that one in my pocket. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, I think that we can start at home. You know, we start with ourselves and we kind of do an inventory of, okay, how am I coping and then, okay, how am I taking care of not only me, but also my immediate family, the people that are living with me? Um, and then we think about how am I taking care of my community and whatever that looks like. Maybe it's your work community. Maybe it's your faith community. Maybe, you know, whatever it might be. And then, you know, beyond that, how am I taking care of my responsibility in the world at large? So, you know, when we talk about coping and stress and vicarious trauma, 
I think it's important that we think about how we have a have an impact mm-hmm. in the way that we talk about, the way that we act upon what we're seeing and experiencing ourselves. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, again, going back to that, that trauma, that feeling that we've had our safety and our control taken from us, one of the most empowering things you can do is feel like you've gained back some of that control. And so one of the ways we can do that is by taking action. And, you know, if that is, you know, as simple as educating yourself on topics you weren't as familiar with, if that is having some again, maybe kind of uncomfortable conversations with people at work or, you know, gaining different perspective. Those layers of things are great starting points where you can feel like, hey, I'm working toward evoking change. If it is within your kind of personality and what you and what you value, taking more of a social justice stance or, you know, kind of taking those, you know, making those efforts, calling your senator, volunteering, protesting, all of those things are things that might gain back some of that sense of control. And then also hopefully change the world for the better, right? Right. Because <laughs> I got two kids. I want them to, you know, grow up in a better world. So, yeah. you know, um, I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, that's something we'll be looking for. But again, that can be done on small kind of grassroots levels that feel good to you, um, you know, and feel natural. And you don't have to feel like, oh, I've stepped so hugely out of my comfort zone. Um, and again, I think a lot of times doing that with others that you feel connected with. So if that is your office does a donation drive. Um, I know our office has done some stuff. We um, work in a pediatrician. We do some stuff around gun safety. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so just things like that, that feel like we're kind of all on the same team working towards something that feels better, right? That alleviates some of that stress of, oh gosh, I feel so out of control of this situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And we will list in the show notes, some resources for, for folks, you know, how to contact your legislators, how to, you know, how to get involved. We actually have um, a woman in the ministry who has been collecting resources to support um, efforts in Ukraine, you know, different self-care resources that will post there. So I think that that's really helpful um, thinking about evoking that change in your own community. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that this conversation is very timely considering all that's going on. Um, So I just appreciate your time. I appreciate the great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been great being here. I appreciate you inviting me back. Thank you for listening to the Be Well podcast. Remember, you can log into your Be Well account from home, work, or by using the Aduro app found on the Google Play Store or in the App Store. Visit bsmhbewell.com to access human performance coaching, well-being challenges, BeWell Live virtual events, and the most up-to-date information on program requirements and deadlines. For questions and technical assistance, reach out to the BeWell support team at 855-376-6474, weekdays 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks and be well. The information presented in this podcast is strictly informational and not intended to be used for or interpreted as medical advice. Always consult your physician before making changes.